This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life. With Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is the Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokotlela. Welcome, Lionel. Dumela Gary and Dumela to our podcasters, and it's so great to be in studio today and seeing your lovely face. Well, thank you, Lions. I wonder what you've got in store for us, I, music-wise. Well, you listen up to this one, Lions. Today we're discussing the duties of company directors, and there we talk, we think about Steinhoff, EOH, multi-choice, ESCOM, obviously, and they've put a spotlight on this very topic. Mm. So we're going to, today we're going to unpack how company directors can face criminal sanctions if they fail to perform their duties and also how delinquent directors can be forced in their personal right to cough up. <laughs> Who's my who's as they say in Afrikaans? Yeah, hey, who they are coughing? It's flu. Yeah, I don't know why doctors hold your testicles and ask you to cough during a physical. I believe it's done in the army as well. You, you know what is so funny? It's yeah. that. If the minister just coughs, everybody catches the flu in terms of the board members. So this is quite a very relevant topic. Yeah, uh, lads, I believe that doctors kind of hold you because they want to check if you've got a hernia or not. <laughs> That's the way to test it, yeah. Serious? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I believe. Today we'll also discuss, lines those directors of companies, and this is very prevalent, that dump their company into liquidation and thereafter they open up around the corner. Mm. A similar business, and uh, they give the middle finger to frustrated creditors. But that's it is so common un- that yeah. it should be unethical. We're going to talk about how they get away with it, or try and get away with it, and what a creditor sh- should do to prevent that. Mm. Also, here's a nice one: Can you record a meeting you have with your director, with your HR person, with your whoever in the company? Can you record that meeting? And that's really interesting in law. I'm very much interested in that because it's kind of very tricky. Our guest today, attorney Emil Myberg, has been with us, uh, with us a few times. He recently wrote an article about delinquent directors and how they can be held personally liable. And this was published. This is very, very, something very special. It was published in the attorney's magazine, De Rabus, which I read regularly, monthly. And here's the result of that. Emil got the following reply. Your article, Emil Myberg, holding delinquent di- directors personally liable, which was published in 2017, has been chosen of, as the winner of the 2017 LexisNexis Prize for the best article contributed to Day Ravis by a practicing attorney. That's some accolade. Applause. Well done, Emil. Thank you very Outstanding. Much, uh, I mean, these, these, Attorneys, our attorneys in South Africa are constantly writing articles. Some get accepted, some don't. Of all the ones that got accepted, yours was the best of the year. Yeah, that's something special. Thanks very much. 
That's about holding directors personally liable, delinquent uh, directors, we call them. Yes. Let's to- start, Emil, if we may. And, Lines, we haven't given out well, our yeah. contact details, and you're waiting anxiously for that one. Very much. Yeah, you can do the Twitter handle. Yeah, it, it's, it's law, H-U-R-T-Z-L-A-W. And you can also like our, our, Facebook, our Facebook page. You'll give the, uh, the Facebook page uh, details. But more importantly, you can always just give us any topic that you would like us to talk about, and we'll get you a specialist like the one that we have today. We always Bring the best of the best This yeah. is the show With a swag after all <laughs> uh, Yeah The uh, Facebook page Is the Laws of Life With Gary Hertzberg And today We collaborate With Legal Talk South Africa They have now A membership of I don't know It's nearing 180,000 or so Wow It just goes great. up Every week You're scared to look Because it's It may run off the pages <laughs> Well done to Ray Green uh, You also Emil Happen to be an administrator Of Legal Talk South am, Africa yes. Yeah mm-hmm. Okay Let's uh, start with a question, in fact, that we got from one of the members of Legal Talk South Africa. It comes from Francois Fenta. I'm going to give his full names. He wrote it about a week ago. He says, if I liquidate the company, will it affect, affect, it should be, the director's credit score? That's one part of it. And then the question is, can directors be held liable for the company's debt? Can directors be held liable for a for their company's debt And unfortunately There was only one comment And the comment was so wrong That uh, I don't even want to mention the person's name Because uh, it's so embarrassing The person replied According to the Companies Act The directors of a company are jointly and severally liable For the debts and liabilities of the company Only in very extreme circumstances But as a matter of course, Emil Directors are not liable for the debts of a company. No, they are not. Um, the Companies Act, uh, worldwide legal personality, provides uh, a certain protection against claims. Uh, the shareholders, directors, and officers are, as a rule, not liable for the debts of a company. Obviously, otherwise, why form a company? Yes. And, and one of the very reasons when you go into business... Uh, you ask your accountant or your lawyer, please form a company for me. Why do you do that? It's to protect yourself in case things go belly up. Yeah, that's why some com- uh, countries call their companies limited liability companies yes. because that's exactly what it is. Your liability is in principle limited to the to your shareholding. Otherwise, Emil, you would trade as Gary Hertzberg trading as whatever, right? Uh, Soul trader. Johnny's panel beaters. Yes. You'd go any- mum and pop shop. Absolutely. Yeah. The reason that I don't trade as such, and I'll give you another answer, another example. You send your driver to deliver goods, mm-hmm. and he has an accident. He smashes into a Porsche or a Ferrari, and the damage is four million rand. Mm-hmm. You as the employer are liable yes. for the debts of uh, for the actions of your employee if it's within the course and scope of his employment. Yes. Therefore, you as a as the employer would be liable for the four million rand. If you are within a company, then the company's liable, yes. and the the owner of the Porsche can't sue you or take your house away. Yes, he can only sue the company. That's actually a very good example because. Yeah. Um, Somebody has lost 4 million rand there, the owner of the Rolls Royce. The other day I did see an accident between a Ford Kia and the Rolls Royce. Who came off best? Um, I'm afraid <laughs> the, the Rolls Royce, but uh, that's only physically. Um, now, there it's quite justified for the director to not to be held liable. But if that director went and defrauded somebody for 4 million rand, then he can be held liable. Mm. 
Um, and that's the big difference. You know, many people think that they can automatically go after the directors of a company if uh, they suffer losses, but that's not the case. Mm. Businesses often go bad. The economy turns down and people all of a sudden don't have money anymore. You know, you, you can't go and sue a director just because uh, his business has gone bust. But if that director has defrauded you or if he's traded or she's traded, um, like the Companies Act says, Recklessly, with gross negligence, with intent to defraud any person or for any fraudulent purpose, then yes, okay, you go we, after we're going to come to that in detail about reckless and delinquent directors and bad guys, right? The average poor director who starts up a, a freshly startup company with the best of intentions goes bankrupt, goes insolvent. And the percentage of new companies that go bust is astronomical. Am yes, I right? Yes. I don't know what it is. It could be as much as 70% or something. Yes. Uh, hardly, hardly, hardly many survive yes. new companies. When I just, after I started my film, when I reached my second year, I realized, yeah. hey, I survived the first year, part of the 30%. <laughs> so I, I think the advice we give before we go on is please try and protect yourself if you start out. Yes. Please form a company. Look, directors shouldn't become uh, desperate and worried all of a sudden. Um, mm. The mere fact that the business goes bad if, uh, doesn't and is liquidated doesn't mean that the director itself will be held liable. Yeah. However, I still remember very vividly the words of my company's law lecturer at university when we discussed personal liability of directors under the Old Companies Act. And uh, he had a very dry sense of humor and said, the reason why this is done is because of the of original sin. You use the Afrikaans word on erfzonde. Because uh, people get greedy, you know, a company, a director deals with other people's money. Um, and it's easy money. It's easy pickings. You you ask services, you buy goods, you get it, you get paid, you don't pay the um, the supplier. Uh, that's the kind of conduct that... Uh, uh, companies Act prescribes um, the guy that just has bad luck because his business dries up and gets liquidated. It's unlikely that he or she would be held personally liable. Mm -hmm. But there's a caveat to that. Um, the moment you see your business going bust, then red lights should flag. Um, if you know you don't have money yet, you carry on uh, as a director to. Um, contract services that you know there's a very good chance you may not be able to pay it uh, that could very well fall within um, the, the conduct of uh, carrying on business recklessly or yeah. with gross negligence because yeah. you don't know whether you're going to be able to pay them We'll talk about all that in detail. Let's, Lange, you wanted to ask something now. Yeah, because yeah. um, this is quite a, an interesting question. But doesn't the law also look in terms of what the circumstances were before they call what they uh, what it's called piercing the veil? Because some people tend to use the companies to protect themselves so that they uh, steal money from people and say, but you were not dealing with me directly, you were dealing with a jurist yeah, absolutely. person. Absolutely, it's a great so, question. Yeah. When how, when does the court come into play to say we are going to be piercing the veil, basically protecting the director from actually dealing with the uh, debtors directly? Well, if you are the creditor um, and you you want to hold the director personally liable, you will have to make out that case already already in your summons. The procedure is you sue. Don't give away too much now because we're going to go into okay. all these in detail. Okay. Let's just do, let's go back uh, a few steps. You have a client, Emil, who wants to start out. He's got a great idea. He's got a good product. 
comes to you and says, do I form a company or don't I? And we've already discussed the protection a company does offer him. The other question is, it's very expensive to form a company. It costs you a few thousand rand to register it. And then you need every year to keep it going. You've got to pay you know, to, to your auditor and whatever to, keep, to, to check the books and all the rest. If you're not going to deal in anything that um, can land you into trouble, it may not be in your interest, and I say this very hesitantly, to form the company. And maybe just carry on in your own name. There's nothing wrong with that. Because ultimately, when you form a company and you take leased premises, the landlord's going to ask you to sign surety. Yes, and that will negate much yeah. of the advantage given by legal personality. Yeah. So it's um, not a blanket rule when I say, yeah. please make sure you form a company. It's generally the rule and there's exceptions to everything. And it may well be if you're just going to develop some kind of IT product you don't need to form a company for that. It is so darn expensive. If you if you feel you're not going to incur any liabilities along the way, you may just want to just trade as as whoever. Lionel Makoka clearly trading as uh, IT solutions. I think for sole practitioners, uh, there are limited advantages to forming a company, um, especially when most creditors are going to ask for a personal surety in any event. Mm-hmm. But the moment you start going into a partnership. Um, two, three, or four um, shareholders, then it starts making sense. Mm. Um, because then you, you spread out the risk uh, yes. over more people. And uh, the fact that you have a company, um, you know, will make it a lot easier if you, if one wants to pull out, um, you don't have to renegotiate all the, the agreements that a partnership, an unincorporated uh, partnership would have. Mm. Um, Lawyers, lawyers don't form companies. They're not allowed to form the PTY. No. So you'll fa- you'll find there are lawyers that have incorporated, which is um, a, b- a bit of a company, but the lawyers are still personally liable. Yes. They can't they can't get out of that. Lawyers are liable for whatever they may do. Yes, I think it yeah. makes very little sense for a sole practitioner to um, incorporate, uh, because uh, part of the MOI has to state uh, that uh, director. Does not uh, that he assumes personal responsibility for all of the debts of of a company? Yes. Okay. Now let's move on to Lionel's question, which was which was a very good one. Piercing the veil. Let's talk about the directors that are ordering goods or the companies ordering goods from a supplier at a time when they probably. Realize should realize that they will not be able to pay the account when it becomes due in 30 days' mm-hmm. time. Uh, there are directors in, in those scenarios. There are directors that also trade recklessly without due regard. Tell us a bit about how you can nail a director who is trading in those circumstances. Well, so the facts would be the supplier renders goods or services to the company. He sends his invoice, doesn't get paid begs to pay, nobody pays him, and uh, he or she eventually goes to see their their lawyer. And the advice that uh, I would give in a situation like that is, okay, um, we sue both the company and the directors. And standard summons, you know, the goods were sold and delivered, the price was such, um, the agreement was concluded between these people represented by... Um, X, Y, Z, uh, the terms were such, and then you go after the directors. 
by saying that when they hired or bought these uh, goods, they knew that they wouldn't be able to pay you. I think the wording is there was no reasonable prospect of them uh, being able to pay the credit. Yes. Those, that's, that's it, yeah. Um, and Isn't that quite hard to prove? Well, it, it would be deduced from the facts. Yeah. You know, the invoice hasn't been paid for 180 days. Yes. Now, what am I to, to deduce from that? You know, there's no dispute about the quality of the goods. They're not paying. The but what you've got to show, Emil, is that when the director bought, when the company bought the goods, the director then at that very point knew that there was no reasonable prospect that the company would be able to pay it back. Well, that's uh, the test. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you would yeah. make that allegation in the particulars of claim. Yes. Um, and then um, there's no way to to show what he had in mind at the time. The well, director, I, I guess you would have to subpoena his bank account yes. to show uh, how much money he had in his account. You'd have to call for his management accounts to see how the business or the company was trading at the time, how much he owed, who he owed it to, all those kind of questions, and what customers yes. he had for those goods. and. Or whether he was just reckless or fraudulent. Yes. Well, the first question I would put to such a director under cross-examination is, you know, you, when you, when you um, hired these goods or uh, purchased these goods, uh, and you knew you weren't going to pay it. Um, and that in itself is uh, r- reckless. You, um, you knew you didn't have money to pay it. And in addition, I would say that was, that was fraud. You know, hiring or, or uh, acquiring any goods or services without having money to pay for it, um, that could very well constitute trying to defraud the creditor. I've, I've been in these matters, many of them, where the director says it's untrue. I honestly, genuinely, with, with all my heart, believed when I bought those goods that we'd be able to pay it. We were doing really relatively well. We had a few customers, and then things turned, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and he comes with a long sob story. It's quite hard because there may be merit in what he's saying. Yeah, that's why um, I said earlier, you know, the mere fact that the business is going, uh, that is going badly with the business doesn't necessarily make the, um, the director liable automatically for the mm. debts of the company. Mm. But, you know, w- when things are starting to go bad, the directors will have to start uh, – Exercising much more caution, you know, saying, listen, we need to buy this, but we don't have money. My advice under those circumstances is don't do it because you are going to have a tough time under cross-examination to explain why um, you weren't reckless or trying to defraud the creditor. And, okay. and it's yeah. not just fraud, you know, reckless. That means you know, not, you're not paying the due attention to the business that, that you should. Uh, fraud is much stronger than than reckless. Reckless just means you're not you're not doing what you should. Fraud, I agree with you. There are many occasions where a company buys, they go belly up very soon after they've bought the goods, and then a month later you find that they've opened up under another company name down the road with the same bloody goods and the same machinery bought back from the liquidators. It drives creditors crazy. Yes, I mean, well, you've had clients and I've had clients that. That can't take this. Yeah, um, yeah, that's why we have this wonderful, um, uh, you know, insolvency inquiries. Now, the the provisions of um, the old companies act dealing with insolvency inquiries are still in force yes. in terms of the uh, new companies act. So, if there is a, if there are liquidation proceedings, um, and 
the directors and shareholders start transferring goods from one company to the next, mm. um, leaving an old company with all the debts. Uh, then you have a Section 417 inquiry, uh, Section 424, uh, and you go after the creditors. You go, uh, correction, you go after the, uh, the directors, directors. Um, because there are several transgressions of the Insolvency Act there as well. Um, you know, transferring the whole or most of st- substantive part of the goods of a company. Mm-hmm. Um, the case law on that is quite clear. I can't really imagine anybody being able to get Yeah, I think it that. makes common sense if a company is moving their stock out um, and then shoving it into a new concern which it opens down the road, that's an obvious. Yes. There's, there's something that is often thrown at creditors by directors when they get sued and they say, why did you supply me the bloody goods? Why didn't you check? You saying that I traded recklessly, you 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 should never have supplied me. Ah, that's the oldest yeah. excuse ever. And if you'd if you'd gone to an industry meeting with with other creditors that supply me, you would have seen that I'm not paying many people. <laughs> yeah, uh, blaming yeah. blaming the, the, blaming the creditor for, yeah. for your own shortcomings. You know what they say, Emil? They say if you can't pay someone what you owe them, don't have a sleepless night. Let him have the sleepless night. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, um, that's, sorry, but that's yeah. a relevant question because yeah. in most cases also if you are a credit uh, provider and you grant pro, uh, credit to someone without actually doing uh, doing uh, due diligence that's reckless lending and that should be your own problem because at the end of the day you should have done the, your no, homework no i don't agree with that okay no um we're not talking here about credit we're talking here about somebody um about a contract yes um the um, faith underpins our law if we if we, if the fact that you should not have trusted me becomes a valid defense um, against a claim, uh, then I think the whole economy is is going to collapse. Mm. Um, one has to have some faith uh, in somebody else's ability to comply with a contract. A contract is nothing other than giving somebody your word that you will do what you say you, what you undertake to do. So by saying that. Uh, the onus is on you to make sure that I can pay it. Uh, that that won't fly. Well, the, just if I can take that a bit further, the argument raised by directors as well, they say, you, creditor, you are greedy and you are desperate to do sales. And you should have checked before you supplied me whether I could pay you or not. Did you check? I know you checked me out when I first applied for credit two years ago. Have you been checking me out every month? Do you check out whether I've got judgments? Do you do uh, other searches on on me to see whether I'm paying others? You don't. That is good common sense. And yeah. many companies do that. They do credit checks on, on companies to see if Constantly. these companies are, yeah. are credit worthy. Yes. Um, but once again, I don't think the fact that somebody hasn't done a credit check is going to be a defense. They can certainly come and say, look, you know, you didn't exercise enough uh, caution when you supplied me with the goods or you were very desperate um, in trying to sell me. This, I mean, that's a defense that I think would only work if uh, the debtor is a natural person. You know, but if you, if, if a big company… Well, the director is a natural person and he's the one you're trying to nail. Yeah, but he you're was… You're suing him. You're saying, I'm going to hold you personally liable because you're the thief. And he says, but you're greedy. And so the argument goes. <laughs> yes, I think, but yeah. st- directors are held to a higher <laughs> standard than ordinary uh, mortals. Absolutely.
I think the answer is what I'm trying to throw here is that creditors should also be careful. Yes. Uh, we, we can't just extend credit. Even, even if you think the company's good, it may have been good two years ago or six months ago. It's not that great now. The problem yes. is often the creditors are the smaller guys. We're not talking of the tiger brands. We're talking of the little guys yes. who, uh, you know, 20,000 lost to him and 50,000 rand loss could knock him out of business. Yes. What should he do? Do your homework, you know, just keep checking every time you supply every month. Make mm. sure that, that and you are supplied to someone who could pay, who will pay you. And ask for deposits. I mean, in, in, the, in the legal industry, as you well know, you hardly take on a client without asking for a deposit to be covered in the case that the person can't pay you. And that, that in itself is already an indication of, of whether the person would be able to pay you or not. You know, lawyers get away with that. We all do it. Uh, lawyers that, unless you act for a big brand, but if you act for the man in the street, you do ask him for a deposit. Yes. In commerce, it's going to be darn hard for the little, for the supplier to ask the panel beater, please give me a deposit. I'm going to supply you parts. Give me a deposit. You say, do me a favor. You want a deposit. I've got 30 other creditors that will supply me without a deposit. Because South Africans, a business is desperate today. People just want to supply. They just want to supply. And what I'm saying yes. here is that don't be desperate because you're going to get yourself into trouble because there are a lot of sharks out there that want to take yes. your money. Um, I've, I've had that thrown at me. Um, and I have said, listen, then you're welcome to go and choose one of the other supplies. I'm not going to take this risk. Yeah. If you don't want to give me a deposit, go to some other lawyer and see whether he'll do it for without a deposit. Exactly. And uh, he, nine times out of ten, won't. I think it's come kind of common that we that we don't that we take deposit. Yes. Uh, for the person in the street, really, uh, not for for big business, obviously. But I mean, when was the last time you you asked you know a plumber to come out to your house and they didn't ask for a deposit? You know, they all ask for. I had to have some repairs done to my swimming pool recently. They asked for a sixty percent deposit. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, you know, as much as I say that faith underpins the economy, um, blind faith is also extremely naive. You've got mm. to accept that some people just not want to pay, and you've got to cover yourself against that risk. And that 60% deposit I had to pay was paying the price for other people who don't pay, who don't pay and who can't be trusted. So you paid the 60%. It's unlike you, Emil. I thought you just turned it down. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a good supplier. <laughs> What about the, uh, yeah, on that note, I mean, the electricians and, and plumbers and all the rest that come to your house daily, uh, they take the risk of not being paid. Yes. The, the other side of it is that the, the person that's receiving the service is generally a property owner. Yes. So if they don't pay any plumbers or electricians that are not paid, that are listening, take the buggers to the small claims court. <laughs> they shouldn't get away with yeah, it. Even for mercy. your thousand rand. Yeah. Without mercy. Um, I, I actually, with this guy that uh, came to repair my swimming pool, um, it, it's a it's a pensioner. He said yeah. he he and the pal of his the pensions don't uh, uh, cover all their monthly expenses, so they've gone into this business. Mm. And we had a long chat, and he eventually told me, you know, that uh, of all things, it was, it was an attorney who told me that, uh, that he told me that didn't pay his bill. Wow. And I said to him, but why don't you sue him in the small claims court? I explained the whole situation, all the procedures to him. I said, you're getting some free legal advice here. Go yeah. after it. The risk is zero. We've spoken about the small claims court here in the A hundred times, yeah. You know, and, and yet people still don't do it. Yeah. You, the worst you can get that can happen to you is you can lose. 
But you yeah. don't get a cost order against you. Yeah. We go on about small claims court. There used to be another show on another radio station. There was a famous doctor on it. And people used to phone him. I don't want to mention his name. He was great. People <laughs> phoned him with all kinds of ailments, sore tooth, sore nose, sore foot, whatever. And the question, the answer he used to give each one of them was, stop smoking. <laughs> but doctor, I'm phoning about his sore toes. Stop smoking. And so we say go to the small claims court, yes. the same advice. Go to the small claims court, but it's got nothing to do with that. Go in there. <laughs> Any claim under 15,000 rand? You can go to the small claims court. Yes. Even if your claim is more, you can abandon the more and go for the 15,000. Yes. And I will repeat what I've said here. I would go to the small claims court for up to 25,000 rand. You no. abandon the 10,000 because you would spend more than that on legal fees anyway. Um, you walk away with 15,000. Yeah, you don't. And no lawyers are allowed. So um, you can't get a lawyer even, even if you want one. A lawyer can help you put the papers yes. together in his office, but you don't need to do and, that. And, and so, and so often do that. Yeah. Do I, you? I, I do, yes. Yeah. Okay, so Emil, let's get back to our directors. Now, let's talk about our big companies. Well, let's talk about uh, Steinhoff and people, EOH and the multi-choice, people that are taking strain at the moment. Yes. Uh, what's the law there? Well, the law is essentially the same, um, but of course, in a in a big company, uh, you know, not your incorporated mom and pop shop, there are often you know these non-executive directors um, for being a director is a career. They're directors of several companies, um, normally listed companies, um, and they are not that active in the day-to-day -day, uh, management. They leave it uh, in the hands of committees and whom they trust. Um, how they have a CEO who takes care of the day-to-day -day running of the company, yeah, just to find out later that uh, the CEO and other members of the company have been defrauding shareholders and investors massively. And now they're coming after the, the, the these directors. These directors that mm. were not taking part in the day-to-day -day running of the company. Mm. Um, the immense risk of that, you know, look at Steinhoff, they're being sued. In Germany, there, there are class actions uh, coming up against them um, in the United States. Um, and any any big listed company that has investors all over the world, here in South Africa, talking about South African companies having investors from abroad, defrauding creditors are looking at serious uh, litigation against them, class actions in the United States. Yes. And those lawyers are not um, – they, they take things very seriously. You've uh, incurred losses through reckless trading, through defrauding um, uh, shareholders and, and creditors, as is prohibited by Section 22 of the Companies Act. Um, and they get sued in the United States for, for millions. And I think that's coming this way in South Africa as well. Um, and I th but I think these non-executive directors have to take – Special care. Um, they, there are some defenses allowed for them in the Companies Act. They can rely upon professional opinions. Upon well, what happens to a director? You're a non-executive director. You don't work uh, every day, but you you're on the board and you get the financials every week or every month. You receive financial information from departmental managers. Can you rely on that? I mean, what should you do? And is that a defense to say, but that's what I got. That's what they gave me. That's the best I could do. That is a defense. Um, but I think it's only going to be a defense up to a point. You know, 
um, could you really have trusted that person? Um, I think it's a defense that will probably succeed in most cases. Yes. Um, so listen, I, we got I was honest. I was honest and it was reasonable. Yes. I think that's the wording. You know, we got for an me opinion to ex- from yeah. senior counsel. Yeah. You know, um, or we got a, a, a statements from, um, from one of the big four audit companies. I, I think in that case, uh, um, it would fly. Mm. But, uh, these non-executive directors have to be very hands-on. I don't think they would be able to rely solely on the opinions or information that, that they get. They would have to at least ascertain for themselves that everything is above board. When is a director delinquent? That's the article you wrote. What, what, what is a delin- delinquent? I know a delinquent child. What's a delinquent <laughs> director? Everyone wants to know that one. Well, a delinquent director um, is uh, somebody that... Uh, uh, has been declared as such by a court. Mm. Um, it's there's a whole procedure that you have to tick off um, in the Companies Act. First, you have to show that the director acted uh, recklessly with intent to defraud somebody. All of that. Mm. Um, then, if you uh, manage to hold him or her personally liable, um, and the Companies Act does prescribe certain standards of conduct, then that director must be declared a delinquent director. That's, in other other words, a director who has not lived up to the standards imposed by the Companies Act. Mm -hmm. Um, And the penalty for a delinquent director is that uh, he or she can be prohibited from acting as a director, either in general or for a specific class of companies, for up to seven years. Um, And uh, they can go to prison as well, yes. Um, In addition to being held personally liable, um, there are uh, a director defrauding somebody uh, can be imprisoned for up to ten years, mm. um, and the the appeal court has expressed themselves uh, on this in a case that was reported last year, uh, the Giwala case. And I'm very sad to say that uh, the appellant in that case who lost is a former colleague of ours. He was an attorney as well, and the court um, made it very clear that he was held to a high standard in. In addition to being a director, also being an attorney who should have known better. Yes. Um, but the court has said that you know, directors deal with the investing public and uh, the penalties prescribed and the standards set out in the Companies Act is uh, good enough uh, to deal with this kind of action. We also, uh, Emil, have the Corruption Act. Yes. which is POCA, P-O-C-A. It's, the full title is Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Activities Act. That one provides that any person who holds a position of authority uh, and who knows or ought reasonably to have known or suspected that someone's committing an, a fraud or has committed a fraud in an amount of 100,000 rand or more must report that suspicion. And if he doesn't, then he's in trouble. Yes, and think 100,000 rand is not a lot of money. It's not. So if you know someone in the office that's diddling something and you turn a blind eye and you say, I, 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 don't, I, don't, want, I don't want to get involved in this, you're in trouble mm-hmm. if, if you reasonably uh, ought well, to have known. Although I think the catchphrase, the catchword there is the position of authority. Yes. You know, I think nobody's expecting of colleagues to rat on each other. Yes. But if you're a director or an officer or... or yeah, Somebody. he's got to be in a position of authority. Yes. If your boss, if you're working for a, an SOE and your boss has done something wrong and you know about it, you're obliged. Yes. Absolutely. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it is.
So what's going to happen to Lynn uh, Malusi Kigaba, for example? Um, what the chairperson of SAA because she has been stated as delinquent. Well, we know what we'd like to happen to these people, whether it happens or not. Well, well there has been an application to declare the former chairperson director of SAA delinquent director. What's happened to it? I don't know. Yeah, can you record a meeting with a director or anyone within your company? Uh, that, that, that's one of the questions that pops up most on on legal talk. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I'll tell you why it comes up. Uh, the director's a, a bullshitter. He promises, he doesn't deliver, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. You know, you, you just can't trust him. So you want to go into a meeting, put your recorder on, and record the meeting without him knowing about it. Yes, and if you look at there are so many apps. I've got one on my cell phone here where you can record uh, uh Yeah, we're recording you now. As <laughs> well, this is with my consent. Yeah. Um, look, the rule is if um, you are taking part in the conversation, then you are allowed to record it without um, advising anybody. And when I say taking part in the conversation, it means you must be one of the people talking. It doesn't help just sitting quietly in the corner. You mm. you have to be one of the participants in the conversation. There are some other requirements as well that it shouldn't be for an illegal purpose. Um, but the general rule is, you know, you can record it. Can I ask this question? We have a meeting in private and you tell me that um, within a month you're not going to be getting a job, but then you go out in, in the media as my boss and you say something which is contrary to what you said in private. Can, am I allowed to really publish, let's say, the letter that you sent to me in the media, for example? Would that be regarded as okay? Well, my question would be, why would you want to do that? Why? Because you stated something that is inconsistent with what you told me. On paper, this is what you say to me, but then when you go out into the media because you want to protect the goodwill of your company, you say something else as opposed to the truth that you told me. Yeah, I think um, Emil's question was great. Why do you want to publish it in the media? Is it, Do you want to embarrass someone? Because, Lions, we know you can't do that. You can't go and embarrass anyone. If you want to use it for your own purpose, yes. Absolutely. But I'm a brand myself too. Absolutely. So I want to protect my, the goodwill of my brand to simply say, but that's not what you said. This is what you said. To him. You he, want to use that against him. You want to record the call or use the letter that you have, of course. He, that's your right. Now look, if yeah. you're suffering damages, you know, right. so if the person has lied to you and now you're suffering damages, um, then obviously you can use a recording to say, look, you are not being honest. You are now embarrassing me. You are causing damages to me and this, and this is not what you said during our meeting. Okay, so let me just give context to this because this has just actually happened on Sunday where one of our uh, veteran actresses was actually canned from a TV mm. show mm. and the owners of the production said something. But then in like last year, three months ago, they stated something on paper and she just brought their letter and she published that in the media. Yeah, I suppose there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't think so. But, you know, three yeah. months is a long time for things to change. You know, they may have made a promise under certain circumstances three months ago. Then circumstances changed. I think uh, it's one of those that depends, Lani. Yeah, no, it depends. It depends. <laughs> These, yeah, uh, it could be things could have changed in the last three months. You've got to be very careful there. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I have a yeah. problem with the whole thing of somebody – Recording my conversation with them without actually informing me that they are going to do it. It happens this. every day. You go into meetings, you're, you're being recorded. If you are party 
to that uh, discussion, mm-hmm. you can be recorded. Lawyers, whoever it may be. But shouldn't you say, I'm going to record this for my own benefit? I think there's okay. something the Law Society, just as an aside, I think they've got some rule that if you want to record a colleague, if I talk to Emil about a matter, I have to tell him I'm recording you. I, I may be wrong there. It used to be like that. But if you go into a meeting with anyone you and you party to that, the law doesn't prevent you from recording it. I have a personally a bit of a problem with the whole prohibition on, on recording because, you know, we all take part in meetings all the time and I make notes. Mm. What is what is the difference between making written notes during a meeting and recording it? Absolutely. Mm, you know, so I can say, listen, I wrote down that you said to me you would yeah. do this. Yeah. I can use that. So I recorded you. Here's your voice saying you yeah. would do this. Mm. Now I can't use it. Why not? You go into a meeting. Everyone's got the cell phone on the on the table. Yes. Okay. Wh- what do you think they're doing? Half of them are recording you and the other half are waiting for their girlfriend to to text them. Yeah. Correct. It's it's only fair. Yeah, it makes sense. But I yes. guess maybe if you just disclose it, it uh, there's there's no necessity. That's okay. yeah. Look, I think it's probably common courtesy. Said, listen, I'm going to record this. Mm. Um, it, it, yeah, it's just no like it's more like you're conniving type of person. You know, like we've become so sophisticated in the world today that people can maybe write as fast as you can talk. So does it, I mean, if I don't record you, but I can write fast and write down every word you say, I'm recording you. Yeah, no. I you guess know, you've, same, got a, you've, got a fair, you've got a, a good point. Yeah. I, I'll withdraw my submission. No, but <laughs> yeah, it's a valid it's, submission. You know, there are lots of people who have exactly that same question. It is, it is slightly uh, dishonest by, you know, if you don't tell someone. But then you can record someone on the phone. You can, rec- you have... Yeah, you've got everything. Uh, if you're on the phone with someone, you can record them. Mm. Yeah, you can even take their emails if they if they work if they on the on the server. You can get their emails. Oh, I get. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you if you're using the the office's system and you're writing <laughs> to your girlfriend or boyfriend in your case lines, um, it uh, can be used. That information's on the server. It's wow. there. It's not on your personal computer. And so be careful what you write. Employment <laughs> agreements almost come with a standard clause to say that you have no privacy in relation to the use of company products or company um, equipment. It's mm-hmm. lovely. I love these discussions. Here's one. It's uh, a post that was on Legal Talk. I'm going to read it. It's a bit of an old one, but it it's, happens a lot. A director of a company has debts. It's his own personal debts. And his creditor has obtained judgment against him. Can the creditor get his hands on the assets of the company for which he works and in which he has shares? No. Uh, but he can, the creditor can go, can try and attach the shares of that director if, if the director has any shares. So whatever assets the debtor has can be attached. And yes. if he's got shares in a company, that's an asset can be attached yes. like anything else. But if the director doesn't have shares in the company, then you can't go after the company. There's a whole thing on sureties that I want to deal with. Um, mm. We have like 10 <laughs> minutes left. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if I should Latin do it. Latin phrases, you yeah. know, non numerata, pecunia, <laughs> things like that. I'd like to maybe keep it, Emil. I'm going to keep that for another time. And we'll spend more time on sureties because there's so much on sureties. Yes. How, how you get out of it, how you get into it, why, wherefore, etc. that we won't do it justice in 10 minutes. No. 
So if you don't mind, come back. We'll put it as a second segment to another show, and we'll talk about sureties then. Yeah, that sounds good. On the director's level, Lance, are you cool? I'm very much cool with that, but I just think um, maybe people need to be more informed and do their own researches in so far as the challenges that they might be facing in this area. There's one question I want to ask you, Emil. It's on the credit CPA. And uh, we've done it before, but I love this one. May your doctor charge you for an appointment you have missed? If anyone's missed this before, here's the answer. Um. Section 17 of the Consumer Protection Act says that you are allowed to to cancel um, advanced bookings. And I think that applies as much to uh, your doctor as it does to schools. Um, Holidays. Holidays, yeah. Um, I mean, how often have have, have you been at doctor's consulting room where – no, your your um, appointments for four o'clock. They can only see you at five or seven or yeah. seven because yeah. they are so busy. Yeah, um, a doctor can only charge a cancellation fee if, despite all reasonable efforts, he or she couldn't uh, find somebody else to take your your slot. And knowing how busy doctors are, I think it's going to be a tough time for a doctor to come and try and sue me for a thousand rand for the consultation. Um, because I cancelled half an hour before the time. Um, I think the HP, what's it called? The HPSCA, Health Professionals Council, frowns upon this. They do, yes. And they, are, they, do, they don't allow doctors to charge yes. for a missed appointment. Same with a lawyer or same with anyone. I mean, if you miss your appointment, he's kept that time for you. It's aggravating, isn't it? It is. It, it's certainly annoying yeah. um, because suddenly you're not making that money. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the advocates have got a very privileged position. You know, if, he, if the trial collapses, then they're still entitled to their fee. Um, and that caused a lot of annoyance uh, amongst my clients. Um, but, you know, even we can't really or won't really charge for a missed appointment. I certainly won't charge a client who cancels an appointment. You've got a long-term relationship with that client. Yeah, um, It's happened to me this year, a few times, clients cancel meetings, but then they come back later. You know, I'm simply not going to ruin a relationship with a client that's been a client of mine for several years because he's canceled one appointment. There's a great, <clears throat> a great story about a, a senior counsel, a very eminent senior counsel. When he passed away, they tell the story. He arrived at the pearly gates and he was asked, uh, how old are you? So he said, I'm 87. They said, no, you're not. You're 170 according to your billings. <laughs> there yes. you go, lads. That's on that note. We're going to end the show. Many thanks to Emil Myberg, to Lionel Makokotlela, and especially to you. Thanks so much for listening. I'm sure you've enjoyed it as much as we have presenting it. Until next week, see you then. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.